Welcome to the Rogue Tailboard Podcast, where firemen are fired up and minimal is unacceptable. Hey guys, how y'all doing out there today? Welcome to another episode of the Rogue Tailboard. Today I have a special guest who's a good friend of mine. His name is Josh Bardwell, and bear with me because he's got a long lot of credentials. He is the Texas A&M Forest Service Regional Fire Coordinator, covering 14 counties here in Texas. He's also a National Wildfire Coordinating Group qualified. He's a helicopter manager, fire line EMT, fire effects monitor. He's an engine boss, a heavy equipment boss, a firing boss. He's also incident commander type four for initial attacks, aircraft base radio operator. He's a helibase manager in training and a situation unit leader in training. Josh, have you done everything but start these wildfires? Uh, might have done that as well in a uh, in a in a uh, official capacity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the wonderful tactic. Got to put fire, fighting fire with fires. That's right, man. It's a wildland way. So that's uh that's quite the accomplishment you got there, man. What uh what motivated you to get all that rocking and rolling? Oh man, you know, like everybody, it's 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 a long story, and um, you know, I'm long winded, but I'll try to give you the quick synopsis. I uh, like a lot of your listeners and and folks got my I cut my teeth in the volunteer fire service, uh, junior firefighter, rural volunteer fire department, Upshur County, and uh, it was one of those deals back in the late '90s. Fire chief pull up, you want a ride? And the next thing you know, you're fighting fire. And, uh, and I wanted to be a structural firefighter, but uh, the more I kept fighting fire and, uh, and wildfire-wise with the volunteer fire department, when they got to where we couldn't handle it, who do we call? Mm-hmm. We called the Forest Service, man. And, uh, and one thing led to another, worked for the feds uh, for 10 years, uh, did it seasonally while I was in college, and uh, moved back to East Texas or uh, Upshur County and uh, my wife's pursuing her career and I'm working for the state now. It's just wildland fire is addictive. Um, haven't been able to get out, man. Yeah, this, uh, this season right now we've had is definitely been a damper summer than we're used to. So does that project anything for like a fall or how's that changed the fire season for 2021? Yeah. So this has been a historically, uh, wet, uh, spring and summer. Uh, you know, it's August, mid August and it's greener and a gourd out there. So, uh, what does that mean? It's growing season, man. We've had n- nonstop growing season. Um, and you know how East Texas is. When the rain stops, it might not rain again for a while. So, um, you know, our, our wildland crystal ball, we keep looking at that. And uh, and with the way the high-pressure system sitting in the northwest, the way the jet stream's sitting up higher than normal, and, uh, you know, relatively slow tropical season thus far, uh, to displace that low pressure system, that high pressure system, man, mm-hmm. it's it's tough to say. We we very well might have a late summer season, you know, September, October, which is now the realm of possibilities. But uh, one of the things we are preparing for is a, a potential um, busy winter fire season. You know, as soon as as soon as the grasses get cured, either from late summer or that first frost, um, it could be a, it could be a busy busy. Um, winter so you know can't it, it may yeah. rain through winter but you know we're going to prepare for the worst and hope for the best okay so those departments that are probably listening in in the texas area what are some good 
pointers they can go ahead and start doing in preparation for this uh, kind of historical wet spring to possibly a pretty wild and western fire season later on in the year? Yeah, one of the biggest things that everyone should be doing already, but, you know, um, since we haven't had an active wildfire season is preventive maintenance. You know, that's that's the bare bones basic in the fire world, structural, wildland, whatever. Be going over your equipment, be looking at, you know, what do I need going into the fire season? Do I have enough hose? Do I have enough uh, leaf blowers or chainsaws or enough chain for my chainsaws? Do I have enough equipment? Um, and then, and the training, you know, it, you may not need formal training. Uh, a lot of departments have been taking advantage of the, the wet season and even with COVID, uh, going on with, with, uh, distance learning with, with wildland classes, we've been putting on quite a few, uh, but you know, it's that start talking in the department, start having those training nights about, um, progressive hose laser engine tactics, um, firefighter safety. Uh, do we have, you know, I know a lot of departments have been, uh, trying to get waters and Gatorades to stay hydrated through the winter or through the summer. Hey, you know, we got to stay hydrated through the fall and winter as well when you're fighting fire. Um, so, you know, be thinking about that stuff, watching the weather, looking at the uh, one month, two month, three month out fire outlooks, and just be going around your local area, looking at the vegetation changes. Are those pine plantations or are those pastures overgrown? Are the, are a lot of ranchers not able to get their hay cuttings in? I mean, in some areas of where I'm at, guys are just now being able to do their first cutting maybe second mm -hmm. you know it's just been so wet so you know be familiar with what's going on look at the changes in uh in the vegetation type and and what's happening you know we did have a lot of that cold stunned uh uh timber from uh, winter storm uri so a lot of pine needles dropped at one time instead of over a course of a whole year or two years so the fuel mm -hmm. loading instantaneously went up on the ground fields but ladder fuels are growing big time so um man situational awareness that's that's the best thing i can recommend definitely i think that's a great idea because even too far from you um you do see a lot of overgrowth in between the thick woods that outline your roads and county roads and is there preventative maintenance that those landowners that maybe us fire departments can maybe even extend a hand of knowledge to them like hey do you have a way to do this or is controlled burning out of the realms to help as a preventative maintenance? Is that a possibility? Man, great question. So for fire departments and landowners alike, you know, um, defensible space around your property, it's slow right now in the regards to wildland fire. It's slow for mm -hmm. a lot of people. So it's one of those things where uh, fire departments, if you have the time, make those contacts with the landowners and look and see, do they have enough defensible space around their property and try to educate them on let's not have a lot of debris built up along the house or needle cast on the roof uh things like that because be looking at those homes be like if there is a wildfire cannot can an engine whether it's a type six wildland engine or a type one or type two custom cab pumper or something be able to successfully fight this fire or am i going to wind up getting firefighters hurt or killed trying to save an unsavable structure be doing that now and you know one of the things as a i'm still currently a volunteer firefighter doing the structural side and mm -hmm. you know now's a great time to be like hey are the mailboxes labeled are the roads labeled i mean that simple stuff but um yeah folks can definitely be looking uh, on the uh, texas a&m forest service website at uh, uh fire preparedness we have a link on there about wildland over interface uh, a lot of good stuff there about defensible space, how much room is needed, how do I clean up my place, there's grants, there's assistance there, 
Um, but, you know, I, I put it on the fire, you know, as a firefighter, you've seen it. I've seen it. You and I've been on the same fires together where it's like, man, we can only do so much. Um, mm-hmm. And we rely on the landowners to give us give us accessibility or to give us a fighting chance to save a fire or save a structure from a fire. So, you know, now's a good time to be mowing those roadsides, trimming back those those uh, those roadsides with overhanging branches so apparatus can get in, you know, whether it's a pumper or a dozer transport, you know, making sure those water sources are good, which they ought to be full <laughs> right now. Right. Definitely overflowing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a lot of a lot of a lot of landowners that are used to wildfire, used to prescribed burning. Uh, you know, you see them out there dressing up fire breaks, putting in fire lines around their property, make sure their fence rows are cleared. So, you know, it gives us all a fighting chance. And uh, as far as prescribed fire goes, uh, living in East Texas, it's we're still part of the South where fire and smoke is uh, is commonplace. You know, there's so many times fire will be burning for a couple of days and people will be like, oh, I just thought so and so was burning. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing in, in the world of prescribed fire. So it's kind of one of those deals where uh, ranchers are starting to get ready for that. So when the first uh, frost comes in, mm-hmm. uh, a prescribed burning, low intensity prescribed burning with a little bit of wind and lower humidity, you know, and in a controlled manner, trying to remove some of that thick buildup of vegetation and duff and litter on the ground. And that, mm-hmm. that's going to, you know, when a wildfire does happen, it's going to be a low impact wildfire should be a lot easier to suppress or manage. So, you know, a lot of little things there, but there's plenty of resources to look at. I recommend folks, like I said, go to the Texas A&M Forest Service website, check it out, Google it up or look up Firewise Communities USA. A lot of good Mm -hmm. information there and the Ready, Set, Go program, which is, you know, a national program through NFA is uh, is outstanding. So definitely some tools in the toolbox better to prepare now than when fires are blowing and going and everyone's like, what do we do now? You know, you're already behind the curve. Definitely. So in other words, if you're a landowner, you don't want to wait till it's low humidity and high winds and dry to burn. Is that what you're telling me here? Um, I've been doing it wrong the whole time. (laughs) Oh, you're going to get good fire effects. You just better (laughs) dial in on your tactics and you better have friends on speed dial. Uh, You know, that's that's kind of one of those deals. How is your comfort level and how is your, how's your skill set? So, you know, how I burn may be a lot different than uh, the way I recommend other folks, but you know. Right. No, very true. So for those that may not be, so uh, I'd like on the brave that gave a good outlook on the grant mountain crew that unfortunately lost with only one survivor that's starting to bring awareness to wildland firefighters and we've seen them on the news always battling in california but since you're in there and you've volunteered on the structure side like you're currently doing what's what's the true difference between a wildland firefighter and a structural firefighter that's paid i mean are, are wildlands just are they volunteered or are they called upon when needed or are they like a true professional group for those that may not be aware? Yeah. So good question, man. You know, just like on the structural side, firefighter is a firefighter, but their specialty, there's a variety of uh, career firefighters out there, or volunteer firefighters that are on the structural side. Wildland is really similar in the fact that um, wildland firefighters are firefighters. You know, we're fighting mm-hmm. forest fires, wildfires, grass fires, brush fires, bush fires. If you're in South Africa or Australia, as you call it, you know, uh, but we're made up of a variety of components uh, of individuals, everything from I, I consider volunteer fire, your local volunteer firefighters. When they step foot on a wildland fire, grass fire, they're wildland firefighters. They're wildland firefighters. They're also structural firefighters. There are state wildland firefighters like us with the Texas A&M Forest Service. All of our foresters 
all of the resource specialists, all the regional fire coordinators naturally. The majority of our agency are carded, National Wildfire Coordinating Group carded wildland firefighters to national standards. This is our profession. This is our career. Uh, notice I said it's our profession. It's, it's not unskilled labor as a uh, California con which really upset yeah. the card on the federal side, rightfully so. You know, at first I thought it was a misspeak, um, but he has continued to double down on, uh, on what he said. So politicizing, mm. but I won't go into that. Um, but right. then we have our federal cooperators, um, U.S. Forest Service, Bureau of Indian Affairs, National Park Service, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, who else? Bureau of Land Management. I probably rattled off a couple of those at the same time, but um those those cats um we've got all those agencies are represented in texas believe it or not um we mm -hmm. just have 95 percent of the state is private land so you know the west the west united states that's predominantly federal and state wildland firefighters you see but there's also contract firefighters there's a market out there where there's contract engine crews contract hand crews private entities private business that that they mm -hmm. they adhere to federal standards so we're really a mixed bag of that, uh, of, of that come from different angles. And then also, um, like you and I've talked about a lot of times in the past, there, there's the career structural side that is involved in wildland firefighting. Out in the West, they've been doing it for years. And I say the West, people always talk about wildland fires synonymous with the West. The South, the Southeast United States, from Texas to Florida up to Virginia, actually posts more wildfires annually than anywhere else in the country. Um, hmm, that's a nice bit of info right there. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we actually, we're year round fire when we're not, you know, it's, it's winter fire season, summer fire seasons. It's kind of one of those deals. Um, so structural firefighting has, has been ingrained in what, or have been involved in the wildland fire service for years. Um, so like in Texas, we have the TIFMAS program, Texas interstate fire mutual aid system uh, mm -hmm. really came around. Um, boy, don't give me a line somewhere in the, in the 21st century, it's been around for a while, and it's growing just like everything else of where structural fire departments taking on uh, national wildfire group standard training, national training. Uh, mm -hmm. I've put on the classes in my region. I, I work with you guys closely that are involved in TIFMAS, uh, and then y'all are deployable or to go out on fire assignments to other states or within state. And so that's one of the things where it's a force multiplier. So we're all, you know, wildfire affects all of us. It affects, affects the landowners, the taxpayers, everything else. So in this world of uh, increasing fires, uh, the fire severity is increasing in a lot of places. Land use changes nationally, you know, going from a more agrarian society, urban society. Uh, and you got urban folks retiring and moving out to the country and not maintaining land in the same way that their grandparents did. So there's so many factors involved. Sure, there's climate or whatever else. Um, things are changing in different places due to weather mm -hmm. or whatever else. So, you know, we're all at the table together fighting fire. And so, you know, kind of my job as a regional fire coordinator has has really been a, a, an attempt to bring everyone to the table to to approach wildland fire with the same mindset, training together, working together, uh, not just we dabble in wildland fire here and there. I mean, it's hard for a lot of guys right. to make bread and butter, but uh, but for us career uh, professional wildland firefighters, it, it's it's been a long, long journey to get where we get, where we've gotten, you know, with, with task books and experience and all that. So, you know, we're having to, we're, if you're not training the next generation of firefighter, you're, you're doing a disservice. So, you know, I try to put Man. as much in to you structural guys that want to learn and uh, i think you you were in one of my 131 90s and uh, yeah you like my skills yeah, definitely 
and I, I always give my little my little speech. I try not to be a hard ass, but it's like, you know, this is a profession. This is dangerous. There's a million and one ways that wildland fire will kill you, just like structure fire. But mm -hmm. uh, you just have a bigger box in some cases, and, and you got to watch your six a lot. So um, uh, hopefully that addressed your question, you know, so. No, that really did. And I was thankful. It kind of led me into sitting here listening to your response. You know, I had a question, how does TIFMIS work? And you you dabbled on that pretty well. But so say there's a volunteer or career chief here that's listening on to it. How can they implement TIFMIS into their department? And what would be the benefit of having their department have a deployable TIFMIS unit? Like what will that bring in return? Kind of a back scratch deal for those that may not know or, oh, well, we're not going to send resources out when called upon because overtime or admin or city board red tape you know, what what benefits come to a department that tiffmas team oh man you 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 start out with an easy question and got into the politics man That's just rolled with it there's people that might need to hear this <laughs> yeah so so let me let me start at the you know at the basics of you know i'm a fire chief or an officer, my company officer, and I want to get involved in TIFMAS. How does that work? So uh, the Texas Interstate Mutual Aid Fire System, uh, it's, it's, it's set up and it's basically supervised, or as far as the qualification certifications, is, is uh, supervised by us with, or with the Texas a Forcers. Again, I'm giving information. Anything I say is, is not the opinion of my agency. Um, and, and, and I think TIFMAS is, is a valuable program. Uh, but you got to make sure that that department says, okay, I want to do federal standards. I want to be involved. I want to be a deployable asset to go fight fire locally to either build my skill set or in some cases uh, to, to, um, to grow in my career. Something like, I mean, that really goes with skill set, but to see some right. go out of state, go fight fire, you know, sleep in the dirt, whatever else, you know, looks romantic, looks cool. Especially if you've seen only the parade, <laughs> some folks are like, man, that's what I want to do. And we can talk yeah. about only the brave after a while. I, I, I knew some of those guys, but um, but with Tiffmas, um, it's a great program, force multiplier. It's a, it, it's it's really cool what we do. It's very similar to how California's uh, OES program is, the uh, mm -hmm. Office of Emergency so or, or Emergency Service. I haven't worked with those guys too much, but similar. Um, one of the the deal is is if you want to join Tiffmas, you work with your um, there, there's regional cooperatives that are set up, and it, and it really goes through Texas Division of Emergency Management. Uh, so okay. we talked about the politics before. There's a whole ordering, and, and you've got all these fingers in the pie when it comes to money and how's it going to be reimbursed, how's it going to be used. Um, that's a lot, of, a lot of stuff us as firefighters and even, you know, a lot of the guys don't have to worry about. The big deal is can I go if I'm ordered? That's the number one thing when a fire chief asks me or tells me, well, very rarely do they ask me, should I be TIFMAS? It's like, I want to be TIFMAS. I'm like, all right, great. Right. Uh, how many people do you have on your department, whether it's volunteer or career? And it's like, when you get a request to be a, deployed on an assignment, can you go? Are you able to backfill this and that? And they're like, well, I got six guys on my department. I'm like, well, if you take out a top six engine, you're probably going to have two or three guys on the engine. Can your department right. proceed with, while they're gone? And a lot of times that doesn't work for a small department. And then sometimes small career departments, if they're only running one station with three shifts, you know, that could be a really, that could be tough. Um, 
But then larger departments, it works out well because they look at it as a way as like, sure, I have no problem bringing on overtime staff or we've got enough uh, part time guys that can cover or, you know, we can go from a four man staff to a three man staff if we're pulling one person from each uh, shift, something like that. You know, they find workarounds. Uh, and it's really cool to see these guys go from taking training locally and working mm-hmm. their basic grass fires or their, their you know, we, we typically don't get wildfires, you know, wildfires over 100 acres. Uh, not as common around here, but it's totally possible. Uh, and then they go out on a summit to California or something and they're like, holy smokes, you don't have to go to California. They go to the panhandle of Texas and watch a fire go from initial attack stage three hours later. It's a 30,000 acre fire because in 60 mile per hour winds, sucker's going to run, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the benefits to Tithmus, besides the uh, firefighters getting to build their skill set and see stuff and come home, bringing home knowledge from other areas that's applicable, is uh, it is it is a way to uh, the, the municipalities get reimbursed by the state for them being on deployment. So, in the spirit of things, my personal opinion is Tithmus should not be used as a mechanism to make money for a municipality. You know, mm-hmm. as the sole deal, but it is a nice incentive. I mean, it's good for a lot of those municipalities that run on a on a on a on a tight budget, you know. Or is mm-hmm. that incentive be like, sure, we'll send our guys out and we'll have to cover and we'll have to cover while they're gone, but there's going to be reimbursement for them being gone. And uh, the way Tiffmus operates is the staff that are backfilling, whether it's overtime hours, whatever else, that's also being re, uh, reimbursed by the incident. So if they go to California, it's typically under under an EMAC and emergency management. Oh, geez, that's it's acronym soup, but under yeah. order, basically it's a it's a cost cost reimbursement order through California is the way they do it. It'll cover the time the guys are gone the whole time, portal to portal pay typically, and then it'll cover the uh, the salaries of those folks that are staffing back home. So it's a win win all the way around for this municipality to send their folks as long as they have the staff to be able to send them. And again, right. like me as a firefighter, I, I try to I mean. Man, I'm doing management now, uh, but I'm still a boots on the ground guy. Any chance you can have to go out and see how other people do business and bring that home and it either changes the way you do business or it's another tool in the toolbox, that's invaluable as a firefighter. So um, Tiffmas Tiffmas is cool. It may not be the right thing for some departments, but for others, it's been beneficial. We have some real powerhouse areas that in like the – the central part of the state around the Austin area and the Metro mm-hmm. and, and then um, uh, the program up in the panhandle is really good up there. Bob Watson's uh, uh, group up there with the Adobe walls module. They have been uh, really stellar. They, they worked, I'm throwing Bob Watson, a, uh, an attaboy out there. He's, he's a, he's <laughs> if you have a fire Bob Watson. That guy is a, uh, he's a mentor. He's, he's been there. He's done it. He's, he's a hell of a guy. Uh, but they not only involved in TIFMAS, but they got involved with Lake Meredith National Recreation Area, which is National Park Service, which has a robust wildland fire program. They train and work with those guys. So Bob's guys can turn around and go from structural firefighting to wildland firefighting like that, a drop of a hat, you know, and that's yeah. what I like seeing firefighters, man. If you, it's, it's multifaceted. It's, and there's a lot of other guys like that. Um, uh, Brandon Woodward, throw a shout out to that cat retiring from Louisville Fire Department. Woody mm-hmm. has, he's been federal, he's been structural, uh, Louisville city. I mean, that guy, he, he's, he's been a mover and a shaker. There's guys listen to this. They're like, oh man, I've taken Woody's class. I fought fire with Woody. You know, it's, it's those kind of guys, Josh Porsche, folks like that with AFD. 
they've been yeah. there, they've done it, they've made it work. Those are those are guys that I, I talk to often and, and really, really dig the way they do business. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing that in some of these departments in, in East Texas, you know, from Mount Pleasant to Longview to Smith County ESD2 and Athens Fire. I mean, Chief Marshall and them go getters. And uh, and, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the day that hopefully if there's a TIFMAS activation of, uh, of some of our East Texas guys, Man, I mm-hmm. want to be that state liaison that goes with y'all just to, one, to see the fruits of the labor of all this training and preparation we've all done together. But at the same time, it's like, man, I just, I want to see y'all's faces when we get to go fight some big ones, you know? Oh, you're giving me goosebumps. I'm waiting on that call. Well, that call <laughs> I'm loving call, But, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Definitely ready to get my feet wet. Yeah, man, the way this fire season is going out west, resources are stretched so thin. Uh, California's got a few fires. It's not really blowing up, but you know, the Pacific Northwest and, uh, and region one U S forest service region one, which is like Montana and all that they're, they're mm-hmm. still running ragged. So, you know, I'm, it, it may be coming, you know, I, I haven't heard any rumblings of movement lately as far as, uh, structural assets going West or North, but, um, right. but it, it'll happen. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, It'll be good when it does. So that's why folks need to train and prepare while they're at home so they don't get caught off guard when they go out of state. You know, there's some things you can't prepare for, but true. The basics, if you can hone it here, it's not going to get you killed out there, you know. So, yeah, uh, 100% agree, man. I think you did a jam up job of shining light on the whole TIFMIS, everything TIFMIS related that maybe some that are in a point of authority weren't truly educated on yet. And I think that really helped clear the air on different things. And so thank you for touching on that. Yeah. Let me, let me just make one more Tiffmas point that, that it comes up quite a bit and I'm not going to get in the politics involved, but notice I said there's a lot of folks involved in it mm-hmm. um, and there's money involved and you got to jump through the hoops of, you know, the governor's office has to receive a request and then the request has to be filled in this and that, you know, it, it's, it can, the, Politics are involved. And just just like anything else, the fire service is not immune to politics. And um, and so it's one of those deals where uh, when money gets involved in this and that, it can be a slow process on activations or do we have the money to be reimbursed or, you know, to front it now and then get reimbursement because it could take a year or longer for a state to reimburse another state or the feds to reimburse, you know. So mm-hmm. just with that said, I hope people understand it's it's we're all working together and we all want to be, you know, and I, and I support TIFMAS and I just like I support my state firefighters, my federal firefighters. It's just sometimes TIFMAS gets a little bit harder to order because you got to jump through some more hoops. Um, and in the state, it's, you, I, I see rumblings and I've got friends of mine that I went to college with or start out in the, on the structural side with, and they're like, well, we're just not getting called. And they're sending a bunch of state guys to West Texas. Like, well, I can mobilize my state guys that are already on, they're on the payroll, you know, mm-hmm. I can get them headed to a fire eight hours away within the, within an hour or two, you know, in some cases, while it right. takes 24 or 48 hours to activate uh, a TIFMA strike team or something, you know. So it's, it's, it's as far as for me and, and a lot of the guys I work with, you know, it's, it's never a, we're going to hold out on sending TIFMAs. It's what do I need and what do I need now? And I'm probably working on the back end and like, all right, I can get 24 or 48 hours solid work out of my engine crews before I have to bed them down. And then by the time they're done or they've run a 36 hour initial attack shift, which we try to mm-hmm. limit, we try not to make that happen. Um, you know, if, if we got resources uh, to backfill, then that's a great time for TIFMAS to come in. It's just, just so people know that there's a lot of logistics involved in it. So, 
um, that's oh. one of the common gripes is like, oh, nobody's calling us. Well, you know, there's a lot going on upstairs, and and that's and a lot of that's even outside of my purview. So, you know, I just right. want a little plug out there. So, no, you're good. I mean, have at it. You're definitely way more educated on that than I am, by all means. But a lot of yeah. you guys coming up in the structural side, if you know anybody that's listening that's involved with Tiffmas, and and I know there's some guys that are going to be or are. Um, you know, be looking at the ways to streamline things, working it up, work with your cooperators and, and let's try to get this to where it's a quick call and quick response. And, you know, I mean, all we can do is get better on uh, streamlining processes. It's a lot better now than it used to be as far as getting things mobilized and activated. It's uh, so yeah. it's the best thing I can recommend. Awesome. And is there is there a myth that I've heard between, you know, just different departments and researches that I've done that maybe is more hearsay than factual, but is there such a thing as if you're requested by the state or on a federal level to your department to have a TIFMIS invite and it gets declined on a couple of times, do they kind of wash your hands of you and never look back and you miss out on that? Or do you fall like the bottom of the call list and you're now a very last resort? I mean, is that, is there any truth to that or is that all just hearsay? I don't know what the official is. So I will say when TIFMAS first started, I was still working for the feds when TIFMAS really started up. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the position I am now with a little, with, right. with, with what transparency I, I do have. Um, but the Forest Service, Texas A&M Forest Service, or then Texas Forest Service had, had more control over it. And so they could actually go direct with folks and get them moving and this and that. Well, now, um, the TIFMAS regional coordinators and TIFMAS leadership, which is made up of fire chiefs or, or representatives from fire departments, you know, they, they kind of pick their rosters and this and that. So um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like uh, whoever's the East Texas coordinator or the West Texas coordinator or the North Texas coordinator, you know, if it's, if it's like based on them or like, Hey, I call XYZ fire department and three times they haven't been able to go. Are you really going to spend the fourth time or are you like, all right, I'm going to go down the list and call some other people first next time. You know, I'm not sure how that works. Um, okay. I, I do see a lot of the same faces or the same department names on trucks a lot. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not saying it's a favoritism thing or if it's just a, they're consistently ready to rock and roll. So uh, my best recommendation, if you hear those rumors and you're on a TIFMAS department, talk to whoever your TIFMAS coordinator is within your department or whoever the designee is, whether it's your battalion training chief or your wildland coordinator or whatever. You know, they can ask that question of their TIFMAS coordinator. They should know who the regional TIFMAS coordinator is or they can get all their uh, regional fire coordinator with the Forest Service, and we'll tell you who your TIFMAS coordinator is. It's on the TIFMAS website, and uh, that way you can work it out and see, you know, if you haven't been getting a call, maybe there's just uh, something out there where they forgot about you, or hopefully not, but it's one of those deals where it's like, what do we need to do to get bumped on the list, or what's the rotation? Is there a rotation schedule, like every three okay. or six weeks, you know? So uh, I think it's probably variable. I, I can't speak to that because it's out of my purview. I'm just kind of spitballing. No, definitely. I appreciate that. Cause I mean, you never know until you ask and kind of similar to what you're saying, the helping hands there, you just gotta, gotta want to grab it. Oh so, yeah. Man. Definitely well, see that. Yeah. It's, you know, me and some of the other guys on here are probably going to be laughing like, well, Bard, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to ask questions of anybody, you know, that's uh, my parents <laughs> me to, 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 you know, I talk to, you know, uh, talk to the janitor like you would the governor and uh, question all. Oh, I come from a newspaper family. So, you know, that journalist in me comes <laughs> up, I'm like, well, I'll go get an answer, you know, and right. if there's any forest service people listening, they're probably nodding their head and rolling their eyes being like, yeah, that, that's him. So <laughs> that's Bardwell to a T right there. <laughs> oh man. Sometimes to a detriment. 
Awesome. Man, I heard you mention uh, Helena Montana not too long ago in this podcast. Did you not just have a deployment that you came back from over there? Yeah, yeah. I just got How'd back. How'd that go? It went good, man. Um, so, you know, you and I were talking to Sango. I mentioned how short-staffed folks are on wildfires. You know, it's a super active historic season up in Montana and Idaho and all that good stuff. So I got a chance to, uh, this past year, um, I applied for the Southern Area Type 2 Incident Management Team, the Gold Team, and they took me mm-hmm. on as a trainee. So I was pretty cool. I got, I'm, I'm actively on a, a National Incident Management Team, uh, which, which, which I'm – pretty 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 stoked about and uh so they uh went out as a hella base manager trainee uh he kind of went down some of my qualls and uh we went up to uh originally they pre-positioned us in spokane washington we were on a region six pre-position order and they were going to assign our team a wildfire well uh there was a the, the divide complex and american fork fire uh rocking and rolling over near white sulfur springs montana uh, mm-hmm. just, just east of Helena. And so we got that request hauled, butt six and a half hours east and augered in there for two weeks. And, uh, and man, we, uh, we got there. It was, uh, really assigned three large fires. We were working, uh, red flag conditions every day and a hella base that was just starting up with, um, I think at the beginning, we started with about four helicopters on the hella base. By the time I left, we had, um, somewhere in the ballpark, I think there were 10 helicopters sitting on the heli base, and we were wow. also coordinating with uh, about six or seven out of the Helena airport and a couple of them down in the town of Townsend out of their little airport. And we were actually tasked with um, utilizing a lot of shared helicopters. Only one helicopter was actually assigned our incident management team to be used on the fires. Everything else was shared. Huh. So initial attack was key up there. That was priority one. So we could be utilizing type one helicopters like the Chinooks or a Puma, um, or I'd be using, uh, type two helicopters like the, the Hueys, uh, uh, Bell 210, Helitech modules and all that on a fire. And then they, we get a new initial attack fire over near Helena or Great Falls and boom, we're having to send ships out to initial attack, go jump on it while it's small. And, uh, and it was a, just a great learning experience. I mean, there was more fire than you could, than you could put up with. We were set up at the airport, the small municipal airport. And, uh, mm-hmm. man, I would, I'd, you'd walk out of the trailer, the box where we've got all the radio comms and running the helibase, and you'd see a column to the east, a column to the west, column to the north, column to the south. New Jeez. stuff would start up. And we're just sending ships everywhere, man. And uh, so one of, the, you know, one of the biggest deals was however many helicopters I sent out, sent out in the morning, that need to be the same number that came home and they need to come home in as good a shape as they were. <laughs> right. We were, pushing, we were pushing 10 like crazy up there. Um, very mm. active, but I worked with some awesome cats and, and man, the wildland fire service is pretty small. So it was really cool to get up there. And then some of the crews, uh, the helitac crews worked with and, and helicopter managers coming in. There were folks I'd worked with before some new folks I hadn't met. We started seeing the same faces, like guys that I worked with, um, guys and gals I worked with on the August complex in Northern California last year. There was a guy I managed a helicopter with uh, in Montana like five years ago. And so it's like old home week. We call it summer camp. You know, we <laughs> you know everyone's getting, getting, getting the gang back together and earning some merit badges, you know. <laughs> right. Now, that's pretty cool. How yeah. many total acres was involved in that one, you think? Man, when I let, so my type two incident management team, we turned our, we turned the complex of fires over to the Southern area red team, which is a type one incident management team. Awesome folks. Been in Texas a whole lot managing our stuff uh, when we get type one incidents. But um, the day I demobed, 
um, and was heading back. We had in the complex we were managing, one of them was 50. So it was like 50, 60, 40, somewhere in the ballpark, about 165, probably 168,000 acres. Uh, when I left wow. of what was in our area of operation, not counting new initial attacks. So um, to me, yeah. that sounds like a lot of acreage, but in the wildland life, is that, that a significant amount or is that about average for these that have the state and federal involvement or how's that in comparison? You know, it really depends. It's uh, you know, that to have, to have, three wildfires in miles of each other in any direction over 50,000 mm-hmm. acres is not at one time is it's, it's become common now, but it wasn't common mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, whether that's, you know, I'm not going to get into climate change debate or whatever, but is that land right. change is that uh, the lack of, you know, there's been a massive reduction in logging on, on federal lands due to one reason or the other one spawn demand to uh, mills policy changes. Uh, that's a lot of acres, man. And like, you know, I, I touched, I talked about August complex last year, that whole complex in Northern California, that was over a million acres. That's a mega, wow. that's unheard of, man. Used to be, you yeah. you know, that's pre pre colonization. There were probably, there were probably a million acre fires, but there weren't people living out there. So fires would run unchecked and, you know, until it snowed or rained or they check up on a range somewhere or creeks, rivers, whatever else. I mean, but mm-hmm. the thing is, is, is what, to me, what constitutes a large fire, a dangerous fire is uh, structures threatened in life uh, and life safety. And so up mm-hmm. there, man, you got small towns dotted around. You've got ranching operations. You've got, you know, um, infrastructure and this and that. Every single one of those wildfires is affecting something and impacting. So, you know, it's uh, I would say, you know, to have three fires pushing, you know, such big acreage. Yeah, that was. Are you there? Not certain if I missed you or not. Well, if you're listening, we might have some connection issues here. We'll see if maybe we can uh, reestablish and regain out to him. So y'all just bear with me for a second. Yeah, there we go, buddy. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Man, nah, I had a call come in, one of those spam calls, and it wound up locking everything up. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good, buddy. It saved our previous stuff. We'll just get it meshed in together. Okay. Oh, sorry, man. Um, no, you're good. Yeah. So where were we? I guess you probably – I don't know if I answered the question or not. No, you did. You were. I was asking about the total acreage involvement. We went on a little goose chase about how <laughs> – pre-colonialization and then you start having these smaller cities and ranch land that's you know commercialized and professionally ran that are now dangers in these wide open areas in the the oh yeah nation. yeah yeah so, so we're having to throw more resources at things we're having to use aviation 
uh, in a lot of, you know, up in that country there, it's, it's, it's steep country. We're talking high elevations, there's canyons, there's, there's places where, you know, it's tough to put firefighters in, even smoke jumpers in some cases, or putting in hot shots and, and pretty rough stuff. So we're having to rely on aviation heavily. And man, there's just, uh, sometimes there's just not enough air tankers, enough helicopters to jump on things fast. And, you know, it's, uh, and then of course, steady red flag conditions and days where winds are too high for aircraft to fly or, it's it's mm-hmm. just that time of year, man. That's uh the, in the wildland uh, wildland world we call it dirty August. It's just because when everything just kind of goes to hell in a handbasket due to weather, you know, you're at the mercy of the weather, and and uh, you know you don't want to get firefighters killed, but we're still trying to, as we say, fight fire aggressively, having provided for safety first. Right. Yeah, I know. I know you touched on it earlier too that uh, there's a shortage of wildland firefighters, so that was leading into a question I had jotted down here is so is there a heavy demand for wildland firefighters? So apparently so, but is it more so now than before or what, what dictates that? I, there is, there, there's, there's, there's been a need, there's always been a high need for them, but more so now than ever um, due to a couple of things. I mean, the one, the one big elephant in the room that people, that, that you like firefighters, we know those of us that work with volunteers know is, volunteerism in the volunteer fire service from coast to coast is declining. I mean, dangerously. I mean, this, you know, volunteer fire departments are practically shutting up, closing shop, or it's, it's, it's half the people they used to or a quarter of the people they used to. So relying more on their cooperators or the state or federal cooperators to fight fires and, and come in and help them through that, from that initial attack stage on. Um, one of the other things that the, the feds are dealing with the federal land management, wildland firefighters, uh, it's made a lot of publicity lately is uh, they're they're fighting for better pay, better benefits, uh, better retirements because they weren't getting that great of a pension. They are, if any, uh, yeah. a lot of those folks are seasonal employment or they're uh, and they get furloughed and then they come back. And, you know, fire seasons are lasting longer in the West United States in the southeast and the east. Well, in the areas that have done snow predominantly, um, we've been having year round wildland firefighters for, for since for over a hundred years. I mean, it's because it's winter fire seasons, summer fire seasons, if, and then the land management folks, if they're not fighting fire, they're prescribed burning. I mean, that's just how it works in the South. That's, that's one of the beauties of working in the South was year round employment. But in the West, there's this big change in states like Colorado, California, uh, Montana, so on and so forth, where there's County fire departments, that were either ESDs or rural fire protection districts, they're going to paid paid staff. And you've got municipalities, career fire departments, structural guys that are getting into wildland because they're having to, their area is expanding. They're having more wildland urban interface. So we're seeing a lot of career wildland firefighters getting poached and getting picked up by county and city fire departments. And then also mm-hmm. some states that pay better than the feds or pay better than other states, which is, which is left a lot of vacant positions on federal um, federal crews, and it's also affecting other states. Um, you know, so with that said, there's there's a deficient or you know kind of a deficit in wildland firefighters. The other thing is, is wildland firefighting is 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 it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, you go mm-hmm. out minimum fourteen day assignment. Um, sometimes twenty one days. I've I've done it before and had other folks where we uh, we'll go out twenty one days. 
R and R in place. Do a, uh, you've got to take two mandatory days off and then come back in place and then come back on for another 21 or 14 days uh, because you just got to plug away. Or you might have a qualification that an incident management team has a real hard time to get. Like right now, aviation positions are hard to come by because they're either all engaged on fire operations or they've retired out or they're out of the game. So if you get a hold of a helicopter manager, a lot of times you don't want to turn that sucker loose because you might not get a replacement. So, you know, there's a lot of guys, I felt the pressure and, uh, and a lot of my counterparts and friends feels are feeling the pressure too, where when we take an assignment, there's a really good chance we're going to be asked to continue to stay. And, you know, at some point you got to go home and you hate to leave something undone like on a fire, but you know, these, these things go on for weeks or months in some cases, um, and so it's one of those deals where I, I like to see something come to fruition, but you just got to know you got to go home. But, uh, at the same time, if they're like, Hey, I know you got to go home, but I don't have a replacement for you. That's tough. I hate leaving guys in a lurch. And so, um, hopefully, you know, the, the feds are looking at bumping up pay recently it was signed. I don't know if it was president Biden or if it was legislatively done in the, uh, in the infrastructure. Technical difficulties, they're, they're horrendous today, apparently. I uh, know, Gremlins must be the storm rolling through. I don't know. Sorry, man. I have full signal and I'm on Wi Fi, so I don't, I'm, I apologize. That might have been to be honest with you, bud. But Do what? no, we were talking about the, the need for the wildland firemen and it being shortage due to the differences. And... Yeah, so the, the, the national infrastructure bill that passed through, they were bumping minimum pay for like a GS3, one federal pay scale, entry-level wildland firefighter was, uh, it was somewhere in the ballpark of like $13 an hour, something like that. And so I think they've got it bumped up to 15 now as a minimum. I, you know, hopefully they bump up everyone else, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that are having trouble uh, making ends meet, you know, and a lot of state guys run into that. Um, if you're entry level or, or early in your career, uh, you got a family to take care of and you're having to have, you know, if, if, if you're if you've got a spouse or a significant other, you got to have two incomes to make it meet, you know, to make ends meet. Oh, these yes. days, right? Taxes are and inflation and all that. And it's kind of one of those deals where what you know what I said earlier is this this is skilled labor. And, uh, and man, I'm a huge advocate for paying benefits. And uh mm-hmm. You know, there's guys that I've been doing this from from volunteer to federal to state. I've been in the fire game in one form or fashion for over 20 years now. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, it's yeah, I'm uglier and I'm more out of shape now than I was when I first got in the game. But (laughs) the knees and the back goes, you know, and then um, and then very vigorous. I mean, you got (laughs) to think of the topography that you are covering. It's not just flat land and mile long hikes uphill. It's a. it's definitely a different labor intensive thing that still needs to be addressed. You can't just do away with that specific profession and think that you're going to have an okay control with just heavy equipment. I just, I don't see that being possible. No, there's no way, man. It, it's, you know, it, it, it'd be, it's, 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 that's a scary thought, you know, if, if that's, if, you know, for that, some folks would consider that. I mean, and the other deal is, is uh, the emotional toll of being gone from home for so long it, that that weighs on some people. Um, for me, you know, I've, I've, I've become more open uh, talking mm-hmm. about it now as the longer you're in the game, especially in wildland fire, um, you know, line of duty deaths are, are hard on everybody. You, you know, structure guys deal with it. Uh, wildland, we deal with it. And the deal is, man, the longer you're in this game and it's a small, tight knit community, Every year we have multiple fatalities for one one reason or the other, you know, whether it's a yeah. unfortunate, unfortunate circumstance with an aircraft uh, crash or 
uh, tree felling incident where a tree falls on somebody or, 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 or driving, you know, you know, driving is one of the most dangerous things you can do. Um, mm-hmm. but it's getting to where it, I feel like, and you know, we're going to these funerals nationwide for our friends and we're seeing the same faces and it's our buddies getting together. It's like, well, here's another one. Or, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately I hope a lot of people don't have to deal with it, but when you actually have to go pull someone off the mountain or pull someone off the, off the line, in a body bag. I mean, it's, it's that, or fly them out. It's those kind of, or you're working them in the back of a helicopter. Uh, yeah. You know, man, that's uh, been there. And, um, and then when you get a legislator or sometimes if the public, you just don't feel like you're getting that support or they want to do things on the cheap, man. That's why a lot of guys hang it up and they're like, you know, I've given so much or my friends gave it all and they're not getting something or their spouses are having to start GoFundMe sites to fund yeah, the funeral. I hate that. Yeah. And, and, you know, man, this is where I get fired up and I'll try not to, I know some folks are like, here he goes. Um, hey, let it flow, brother. Some people need to hear you. Yeah. But my deal is, and that's, that's why you guys, some of y'all have heard me talk about the profession while in firefighting. And there's some guys out there, guys and gals just, just kicking asses now. I mean, they've retired out or they've gotten out of service and instead of just being like, well, it's not my problem. They're turning around fighting, they're lobbying. And I, and I think that's great because, man, uh, I'd like to take some of the naysayers and put them mm-hmm. in the back of the helicopter with me when I'm doing a medevac or, you know, on the line and be like, we don't get SCBAs because we don't, you know, a 45 minute bottle ain't going to last the two days I need it to or they yeah. for 16 hours. You know, it's and we're just breaking our bodies out there doing a job we love in country that we love. And it's like, you know, I, I know it sounds like pissing and moaning and be like, oh, I don't want more. But when you start, when you, enough flag drape coffins and everyone calls them a firefighter then, or they, yeah, you know, now you want to recognize it. Bingo, that's it. And that's what gets me the most. I actually was having this discussion earlier today at a previous meeting where it just t- kind of turned into a BS session. And yeah. we were, it always comes back to the same thing. You, you know, everybody's a forestry technician or a resource specialist or a quote unquote educator uh, when it comes time to pay the man or the or the woman but when they die or they or they make a or they look really good on a press release man that's a firefighter and frankly that weighs on me and that is that and so i'm not giving up the ghost though i mean we'll keep fighting and uh Mm -hmm. and i hope people you know fighting from the inside to try to do good change some of us ground pounders you know i know we're working against bureaucracy and the status quo which uh you know everyone says is it's an unbeatable foe but uh you know, it's got to give eventually, um, but I'm yes. proud of the feds and I'm proud of what some of these guys are doing, the guys and gals are doing to make changes on the federal side because they need it. And, uh, you know, uh, wildland firefighters, our shelf life is, you know, 20 years, 30 years at best, you know, asking them to fight fire until they're elderly or until it's like, you got to do this job until you collect social security. Come on, man. And I, and they, and they I keep hearing the same thing all the time is, well, you don't have to be a firefighter. You're going to move up to where you're a supervisor and you just train other firefighters or, you know, you'll be management and let the other people do the work. Well, that's all well and good, but someone you still got to hit the, you still got to be out in the field, you know, you still got, yeah, definitely. you know, and so, I mean, it's, it takes a toll, man. And I've got buddies that they're, they're broken, but they're, they're physically broken, but their soul in and their mind in their heart. in. so, you know, that's just one of those deals, man. I know the, I give total credit to what the IAFF and, uh, and other uh, structural fire department organizations and unions have done um, uh, or, you know, advocacy groups on, on, on making sure that you guys have 
the things you need, the tools, the support mm-hmm. and all this and that, you know, and they understand sci- based on scientific science and, and research of, of what's the lifespan of a firefighter and how are we going to take care of that firefighter when, when they're, when they're, time is done you know and so uh, you know we need that in the wildland fire service and and you know it's uh we're we're I'd love to see that for you guys i mean my goodness y'all are y'all are going way above and beyond the call you know if you're just stuck in the structural firefighter world bubble so to say and oh there they go again or california's constantly burning but they got their man that's a whole different animal to be a wildland fireman and i don't think a lot of people truly have grasped that in my opinion, or they're not aware of it. So I'm very thankful that you're shedding light on it because it is huge. It's a different animal. You know, a lot of us, we might run, you know, if we get called to a grass fire, it might be a 30 foot by 20 foot and easily obtainable that might be creeping up on some trees. But when you're talking about 30 foot flame links and 150,000 acres of involvement, I bet half these structural firemen that have no idea what wildlands even about, they're like, oh, hell no, get me out of here. <laughs> and that's when they call the cavalry and it's either dozers or engines or helicopter. You know, it's, it's calling someone that deals with us, especially just like, you know, like I would when I deal with a hazmat situation in my neck of the woods as a volunteer. I know Longview is going to be probably rolling if we need if we need hazmat support. Call the specialist, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the one last thing I want to add to this, this little this this vein of conversation we've got going is uh sure wildland firefighters are not just wildland firefighters so uh you know we harp that that's our bread and butter but mm-hmm. this day and age wildland firefighting has been around as far as an organ organization from the u.s forest service all, that all came out of the fires in 1910 i mean u.s forest service was around before that the texas a&m forest service was the texas forest service which was the texas department of forestry or forestry service or whatever you know going back to 1915 um we've been doing incident command structured for years and national wildfire coordinating group really got their stuff together it came out of fire scope and on anyone that's went through uh their their firefighter one and two on their structural side you know the brief history on all that good stuff but the mm-hmm. thing is, is we're all hazard and that's 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 changed a lot. You know, wildland folks have been we manage uh, inst- we're, we're the incident management teams dealing with hurricanes, dealing with storms, uh, tro- uh, tropical storm. Uh, yeah, like tropical storms, tornadoes, um, winter storms like Yuri Forest Service mm-hmm. was in there. We were in the we were in the SOC, then the SOC, the uh, state operations center where we are every day. We have personnel down there working with our cooperators answering to the governor we were in we're in the regional field with our tdm cooperators we're, we've our guys are in the field working right now we, we still have forest service folks state forest service folks that are involved in covid response working the warehouses the state warehouses in uh, san antonio making sure ppe is going out and facilitating the needs for hospitals as they're asking for ventilators again and more trailers and this and that um, people don't realize that that your state wildland firefighters are involved in everything emergency management, whether we're unloading C-130s working side by side with the Gregg County Fire Marshal's office or mm. or our folks are running the warehouse down there um, w- right next to uh, Texas State Guard and, tech and, and National Guard folks. Um, or we're the situation unit leader working with a region or a whole TDM region cranking out uh, situation reports and working with uh, county and, and, and local uh, cooperators trying to help them address a pandemic. 
we've been in it, man. Last year, I had somewhere in the ballpark of over 200 and out of, out of 365 calendar days, I was actually assigned to an incident, wildfire all hazard, for almost 300 days of that when I went back and looked at the at my reports. And that just blew my mind, you know, and that's on loan to other agencies, this and that. So our federal guys do the same thing. So I want people to realize a wildland firefighter, it may be raining right now, but our folks are engaged in, yeah, in other I'm glad stuff. You're saying yeah, man. So, and, and people forget that. And we, I mean, I've seen, I'll, I'll, I'll praise the forest service for this. They send out the press releases. They put it on Facebook of what our people are doing. But the public's like, I didn't know you did that. Or I'll run into a legislator that'll be talking like, I didn't know you guys do that. And I'm like, man. Yeah. We, See, I, so y'all don't just sit around and wait on a big call? You guys are actually doing things outside yeah. of that? What a crazy concept, right? And we're, or we're, not just, <laughs> we're not just sitting around throwing weights in the back, man, you know, waiting on a <laughs> No, and then, of course, in East Texas, uh, I, I praise uh, our resource specialists. Our, you know, those are the boots on the ground, dirt under the nails, smoke-eating firefighters and all hazard guys. They're doing landowner assistance. I mean, these guys, some of them have degrees. Some of them don't have forestry degrees, but they're out there practicing like mm-hmm. badass foresters, man, land managers. They're talking to landowners, advising them, coming up with management plans on how to run their land, senior citizens or whoever else. They're out there day in and day out doing the dirty work and, and working for the public. And it's it's 365, 24-7. I'm pretty damn proud of the guys I work with. And uh, Amen. You know, That's like, extremely proactive. Yeah, man. And uh, and so, you know, the fact these guys show up and do it, you know, and they whatever the whatever the mission is, whether it's mercy response or it's uh, capacity building for fire departments, uh, training or grants or whatever, man. I mean, that's what y'all see me all the time dealing with grant mm-hmm. stuff for the uh, with the neighboring fire departments. And mm-hmm. dude, it's it's a it's a busy job. And, uh, and it's definitely something I'm proud of, as you can tell, passionate about it. But I'm passionate. Oh, I love about it. Passion, man. Definitely. I love it. I, I need, I would love to see a lot more passion. And I know that's kind of what started my whole blog, not even a couple months ago to bring it to where it is today. It's, it's passion driven and it's definitely a God thing as well. But man, I just going into the fire service, just a little tidbit on this. I can't believe that how passionate I am. And I was hearing that others weren't, or they're were stagnant or they're burnt out and, you know, they get wrapped up and all that stuff. It's like they almost lose sight of, why did you sign up to do this? Yes, you're going to get beaten down. There's no denying that. You're going to get your burnout moments. But don't forget why you chose to be a wildland firefighter. Don't forget why you wanted to seek out a structural fire department to be a, a profession with. And, man, I'm, just, I'm glad that this is bringing awareness. This is an outstanding conversation we've had. I, I couldn't be happier to have it. Man. Glad you're on. That's good, man. I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the burnout happens or, you know, that near burnout. There's there's been several times, whether it's after a fatality or it's been after like, you know, too much politics or whatever. And you're like, you know what? You just want to throw your hands up and walk away from it. And then you look at the job and it's one of those things, like I said, man, it's the legacy, the heritage of it. And watching like the big Ed Pulaski's that walked away from the fires in 1910, saving their crews, fighting these fires and saying we can do better. It's like, man, if I walk away, not that I'm saying I'm a great firefighter or a great leader or anything by any means, because humility is, man, I try to be as humble as I can. Some people probably disagree, but the thing that weighs on me is if I walk away from this and I'm this passionate about stuff, who's going to do it? You know, is the next guy that replaces me, are they going to be the status quo? Are they going to keep pushing for change? Because 
I mean, I got too many irons in the fire and it's my own fault, but I mean, pushing for what, you know, we're getting better as far as uh, wildland medical uh, treatment or wildland medical ca- capacity, whether it's line EMTs or, you know, getting rapid intervention modules out there on the line or uh, rapid extrication modules, wildland paramedic units, man, advocating for that stuff, training our people that are EMTs, ECAs or paramedics, make sure they have what they need in-house without having to go elsewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. That they've got the support, they've got the medical direction, or do we have the basic training to exfil a firefighter off the ground, tying that in with aviation to fire effects monitoring? Are we actually getting the science we need on our prescribed burns, not only to make sure we're checking ourselves that we're doing the right thing for the landscape, but the other thing is like, all right, I've collected all this great data, or we've collected this great data. How can we give this to a landowner and say, sir, this is the type of land you have, this is the type of timber you have on it? You want to prescribe burn? Here's some prescriptions that we wrote. Here's where we implement. Here's pictures. And here's the weather that day where you had the perfect burn that's identical to your piece of land. How can we get that information out of our shop into the mm-hmm. private landowner's hands to make li- their life better? And, you know, there's just all these different projects, you know, that just go on. And it's awesome. like, you know, and then right now there's a shortage of, av- you know, we talk about a shortage of wildland firefighters. There's a massive shortage of aviation folks, aviation quality folks. It's due to different reasons. One, it's a long road uh, to get your aviation quals because, I mean, you got to be super careful and super well-trained to work around aircraft. There's a million right. ways to go wrong. But the thing is, there's there's been enough helicopter crashes that there's folks who are like, there's no way you're getting my ass in a helicopter. You know, yeah. and I get that. Uh, you've got some of the best helicopter managers and firefighters I've known have been involved in crashes where they walked away but someone didn't. And that, that's the end of their career. You know, they're like, I'm not getting back on a ship. Can't do it. I get it. And then you oh, got- and they're crucial pieces to the tactical puzzle too, man. It, you can't just do away with them. That, it's a tough pickle. It sounds like. It really is. And then the other deal is, is with the shortage of firefighters nationally, it's like, we got guys and gals that want to be helicopter crew members or they want to work on air tank bases, but mm-hmm. They're, they're early in their career and their office or their task force that they're assigned to, they need them to be an engine operator and a dozer operator and an instant commander type five or type four and this and that. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things where you're like, I get it. You're, that's your priority. And so, you know, with the shortage, like, so now we're in the, we're in this process of like trying to train people and get more people in the game and being proficient and trying not to cut corners. It's a uh, man, it's a challenge, but, uh, Sometimes it sucks, but uh, but it's kind of a fun challenge to have. Not being short on people in fun, but trying. Right. What do we have to do now, or what should we have been doing yesterday to get to where we need tomorrow? I mean, that's uh, that's every day in this in this line of work. Just like with structural side, that's where we're very similar problem solvers, man. Oh yeah, you have to be. You absolutely have to be. And hopefully, with uh, the seeds that are being planted right now, even if we're in this low high demand for personnel. Hopefully the next generation and the generation after that, they're seeing it and they're buying into it. But it's all done by us currently right now pushing for it. If you're just trying to ride your time out and hope for the best, but you're not implementing any change, it's never going to get better for the generations to come. And I'm a big advocate on that. I'm seeing it everywhere. Oh, you're damn straight, man. I agree wholeheartedly. And um, and, and it's also looking at that next generation, recruiting the right people but making sure they're there for the right reason. It's the old catch 20. We need bodies, but we don't just want warm bodies. You know, you touched on earlier about the folks that aren't totally bought in on the deal. Um, You know, there's a place for everybody, but let me tell you, man, I'll make a plug here and this comes up every now and then. Go for it. 
Granite Mountain, 2013, uh, you know, 19 of them, they go down on, on Yarnell. Um, Brandon McDonough, he's, he's the only one that walks away, you know, because he was in the lookout position. Mm-hmm. Uh, when those guys die, those 19 firefighters, tragic, man. Um, they were in a place. I'm not going to armchair quarterback. Right. Uh, the experienced crew uh, knew a couple of the guys, just badass firefighters, man. I mean, as far as like good people. And mm-hmm. they got in a bad place, bad things happened. Let me tell you, I was running a, a Facebook group at the time. I'm not involved in it now, which was a, it was a wildland firefighter Facebook group. It was the only one that existed back when Facebook started. And it was just a way mm-hmm. for us to network. And man, what I noticed that it was like, was just days after people started coming on and they, you know, like, I want to be a firefighter. I was like, what, what is, what's going on here? And right. It was like a flame, you know, it's like, cause what, what did those fire, what were those firefighters called? after they were pulled off the line heroes. I mean, mm-hmm. what they, the, the profession is heroic and I'm not this, I'm not, this is no way me discounting anything they did or this isn't about them, but it's about the folks that decided I want to be a firefighter. I want to be like those guys. I want to be like mm-hmm. firefighters. And so a lot of us in the fire service, I was federal at the time. We were like, Holy shit. Sorry about my language. We're no, you're getting open up man. Uh, it's like we're gonna we're about to just have people coming out of the woodwork. Our, you know, when I started hiring seasonals or part timers or whatever guys from my engine crew, I'm like, man, it's about to get challenging. I'm about to have to actually interview a lot of people, go through a ton of uh, resumes. I'm like, I was looking forward to. I'm like, I can start getting the best of the best. You know, no more of just like I have two positions to fill and I get three applicants. I only got to throw one out. You know, that sucks. Now I was yeah. like. I'm about to get 30 applicants for one position or a hundred. Dude, I, for a seasonal position, I had over a hundred applicants for one seasonal firefighter position yeah. in East Texas. Good problem to have though, man. Hell yeah. It was a good problem to have. And I was <laughs> to pick out some pretty good cats, you know? Nice. But the thing is, is we had a lot of folks wanting to be firefighters and they want to be heroes, man. We, you know, you got the ones that want to do the job right. But let me tell you one thing that I've, I've noticed in talking to my buddies that are, that are hotshot superintendents or Helitech, uh, squad leaders and, and, and Helitech module leaders and this and that for a while there, man, we had people want to be firefighters and we'd mm-hmm. hire them on and they'd get out there on the line and guess what? It wasn't for them. You know, mm-hmm. either they were coming from places that they'd never had a job where they had to actually do hard, hard work. Yeah. And out real fast, they were scared of fire. And you're like, damn, that fire is only a foot high, you know? Or, <laughs> yeah, fire is that ain't nothing, ridges. Bubba. <laughs> yeah, that fire is three ridges over. Why are you worried about it right now? I mean, obviously, you know, it's not, and it wasn't one of those situational things where our faces in the wind and the fire is rocking out 300 foot flame links. It was like, right, uh, fellow, there's a whole lake between us, you know what? <laughs> and so we had a lot of people get out of the game, and there's some folks that have stuck with it and they become really good firefighters. But the deal wow. is, is, you know, it's that, that, that the thing I always worry about or what kind of going back to whenever I got on my, my little soapbox is uh, folks were like that heroic. I want to be a hero thing. And I was like, I don't need heroes. The profession needs dedicated hard workers, you know, do work. But man, if you're in it for the t-shirt, this ain't the job for you because your t-shirt, yeah. we're going to give you a t-shirt, but you're going to wear that sucker out in no time in sweat yep. and tears man <laughs> i mean so yeah. it's more about the font that's on that t-shirt than just the logo exactly man which you know every shirt needs to have a good logo but damn oh well, yeah don't get me wrong yeah <laughs> you gotta be looking fresh out there sure exactly <laughs> gotta ride the brand right 
<laughs> right? Amen to that, brother. Yeah. No, this is great stuff. I'm very glad. But, man, I do have one question. I know we've been yapping, and it's been a great yap, but and I don't want to take up too much of your time of the day, and I'm sure my wife's probably ready for me to head up out of my office here. Um, <laughs> one question I like to ask all my guests is, what does setting the standard mean to you? What does what? What does setting the standard mean to you? Oh, man, setting the standard. Oh, you know, for me, setting the standard is uh, it really ties into the uh, the old mantra that I grew up uh, hearing from my granddad and my father. Uh, you know, never ask somebody to do something you can't do, won't do or haven't done. Now, mind you, you know, there's special specialists out there that just do something. My deal is be willing to work, uh, lead from the front, um, train your replacement. There's so many folks that have gone through so many careers and jobs. I've seen it in this career. I've seen it in other ones where, you know, people want to not train their replacements. They're afraid that, oh, I'm going to get too old or they're going to replace me and I won't have a job or whatever. This is my thing. Man, we're all in it. It's a teamwork effort. So my deal setting the standard is having high hopes for the people you're training, hold them to a high standard, but hold yourself to the same standard, if not a higher standard, uh, walk the, you know, you've got to walk the walk and, and, you know, I do a lot of talking. I'm a talking guy. My job is to talk, but mm-hmm. hopefully for one thing, a lot of guys can say, I hope one day, God forbid something happens to me on the line, but you know, I want right. my eulogy one day to say that, you know, I was a firefighter's firefighter. I've worked for those guys. I work for, you know, like the Brad Moores and the Ernie Smiths, um, you know, guys like that, that were the firefighters, firefighter, man. And, uh, and that's, 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 that's where I want to, that's where I think I need to be. And that's what I expect from other people. And I, and to be accountable, the one thing, let me say what, what what the question you're asking is one thing Mm -hmm. I do love about the wildland fire service. It's one thing that's a little different about us than, some structural departments and the military and this and, and, and other stuff is everybody is, see something, say something. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say that, it's not just a safety thing. It's could something be done better. Everyone has a voice. Now, mind you, there are times it's, it's time to shut up and head down tool in the dirt, do work. Right. Time and place. Thing for sure. Yeah. But the thing is, is my first year firefighter, if they see something that's a concern, they shouldn't be afraid to come to me and speak up and say, Hey man, what happens if this, or this, why am I doing this? We should be able to explain why we're doing stuff. Now in the heat of battle, there's, there's times where I've been guilty where I'm like, I just need you to do it. But the thing is, is, um, is everyone's got a voice. Everyone has an opinion. And, uh, and sometimes some of the most beautiful things on the fire line can happen when it's collaborative from the first year firefighter to the 30 year vet. I've seen some magic happen, man. And so awesome. uh, setting the standard is, is, is making sure there's, there's uh, hell, man, I gave you this long rambling deal, but at the end of the day, I love I'll, it. I'll give you the wildland fire thing, which is the most perfect thing that was created. Duty, yeah. respect, and integrity. Duty, respect, and integrity are the three core pillars in the wildland fire leadership uh, guide. And that's one thing you'll hear wildland firefighters say is, 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 is the, are those three core values. And at the end of the day, that sums it up right there. And duty integrity should be, I mean, I use that in my personal life the best I can, you know, I falter at times. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it transcends, uh, corporate life. It transcends family life. I mean, it, that is something duty, respect and integrity. If you can hold those standards, 
uh, those pillars up to high standards, uh, you're going to be a good follower, you're going to be a good leader, and you're going to be a good mentor. And hopefully the ones behind you, uh, they can fill your shoes when you decide to hang it up, retire, or God forbid something else happens, and you're going to leave the profession in as good a shape and hopefully better shape than the way you found it. Man, that was an ultimate mic drop there. That was gold. I have my moment. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. It's dropped. Yeah, edit out all the other junk and uh, just like. I'm going to turn this hour and a half into a two-minute two minute, uh, clip and say that's it. Enough there you said. go. Man. There you go. Man, it is an honor to have you on, Josh. I was very excited about this. I know there's a few that approached me and wanting to have you on. I'm sure they are well appreciative of all the knowledge you dropped and awareness you dropped. Um, I can't thank you enough again for having it. Definitely hope to see you on the fire grounds coming up. Uh, man, it was just a pleasure. Yeah, brother. I really appreciate it, man. I'm just a firefighter. I don't know how much of an honor it is for anyone else, but uh, love what you're doing here and, and spreading the message. Thank and you. uh holding us all accountable, man, and and uh, big fan and, and love what you guys are doing and, and keep up the hard work, brother. Man, I appreciate it. And guys, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and thank you all for the continued support. I mean, this is why I'm doing it. This is just a brother trying to help other brothers out and sisters. It's, it's not about me by any means. I've been saying this is a God thing from day one, and I just – I hope that we all continue to revive our passion if it was ever died out, and y'all just keep – Keep sending the love. It definitely keeps the brother going. And uh, Josh, thank you again, man. It was an honor having you on. Thanks, brother. Amen. All right. See you guys.